You are listening to the Bellator Christie Podcast, brought to you by bellatorchristie.com. Now step into the arena of ideas with your host, Dr. Brian Shelton. Coming to you from the chilly, frigid mountains of northwestern North Carolina and the Arctic frozen, did you say tundra? <laughs> frozen mountains of northwestern Montana. This is the Bellator Christie Podcast where we take Christian truth into the arena of ideas. Hello friends, my name is Dr. Brian Chilton. We're joined by uh, the cowboy apologist Curtis Evelo. Uh, bless his heart. I think both of us were thawing out, but even more so for our cowboy apologist. Uh, we want to thank you for joining us tonight on the podcast. We've got a great episode on tap for you tonight as we're continuing our winter Bible study series in Galatians chapter three. And so, Curtis, how you doing, my friend? Are you staying warm? Oh yeah, what a perfect time to be uh, doing a Bible study. You <laughs> kind of stay inside out of this ridiculous cold <laughs> that is for sure it uh yeah it was it was insanely cold it was minus 37 here minus 37 um, morning and it just it was horrible <laughs> minus yeah. 37 yeah. oh my dear lord <laughs> and we thought it was cold yeah just think though it only had warm-up it, it it only had to warm up to, to 20 degrees above zero, and we had a 50-some 50, 50 degree jump, so good. That that just makes my bones hurt thinking about it. <laughs> I, I was talking to uh, some good friends of ours. Uh, we, we got together yeah. this Tuesday, and we were talking. About, in fact, your name was mentioned. I don't know if your ears were burning or not, but we were talking about uh, the, the cold that you, that you receive and uh, that you guys get up there, and whew, a lot of respect, my friend. I'll just say that a lot of respect. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And I only do it because the spring, summer, and fall are so good. <laughs> well, that's what I that's what I tell everybody that uh, well, I knew you had gone on record before saying that that three seasons of the year make up for the one lousy one, and so. Uh, quite honestly, it's true yeah. here too. But we got some good friends of ours uh, who were originally from Buffalo area, and my goodness, Buffalo they they got slammed with a massive snowstorm oh, this past goodness. weekend, over well over a foot, maybe two. I'm not sure, but um, our pray- our thoughts and prayers go out to those who are dealing with the massive snow blizzard conditions. Were you guys? Did you guys have blizzard conditions the other day as well? So yeah, it would have been like Saturday was Saturday morning was was the coldest day, and that was thirty seven below. Here at the ranch, you go further into into like into town, so ten miles in, and it wasn't as cold, but it was still cold. Um, but it was the day, two days before day, two days before where we had all the wind and everything was just blown around. We only had like probably five inches or four inches of snow but the, the wind blew it around so much it was drifts were deep so well five inches with negative yep. 32 two degree weather that's still intense <laughs> yeah 
good. Nah. Yeah, you walk outside, and, you know, good. <laughs> a good way to rate that is how how well your uh, nose sticks together from your nose hairs being cold. That's what I um, told them you Tuesday. Real fast through your nose. That's what I told them Tuesday because you said that you could tell the difference <laughs> between zero and negative twenty by how quickly the the ice in your nose or the moisture in your nose made icicles. <laughs> together <laughs> yeah it's hilarious it's kind of like oh yeah they're stuck together it's cold <laughs> well as curtis was saying tonight is a good time to pull up a nice warm blanket get you a good hot cup of coffee and uh and, and curl up with us uh, on this podcast tonight because uh, we'll, we got a good one for you as we continue our study in Galatians chapter 3. We do apologize if our internet is a little intermittent tonight. The The audio quality may not be completely up to par because uh, due to the winter weather, um, uh, is quite honestly, whether even if it's a hot spot or if it's internet, which our internet's not the best in the world anyhow, but still, uh, it's even with the, with the better internet service providers, I think they've really been having issues in our area um, with with service. So so uh, bear with us if we, if we have a few little intermittent glitch you know glitches here and there. Uh, but we will we will, as the words of Doctor John Morrison at Liberty, we shall persevere, brethren, persevere indeed. So tonight, as we were talking last week, <laughs> we were talking last week. Paul called out uh, Peter, and it's interesting, in my devotions today, uh, Peter had, uh, even before all of this happened, God had inspired him and shown him uh, through evangelistic meetings, the, the Spirit came down upon Gentiles as well as the Jewish people, and led him to realize that all people are one in Christ Jesus. It doesn't matter if you're white or black or, or Asian or, or whatever the case may be, uh, whether, you're from, whether you're from India or whether you're from England, whether you're from China or whether you're from Mexico, it makes no difference. America or, or uh, Pakistan makes no difference that we are all one in Christ Jesus and we're part of this this family, this global family that transcends the scope of time itself. So anyhow, with that information in hand, Peter lapsed, had not lapsed in faith, but lapsed uh, in judgment, and he was shown partiality for, for his, uh, his Jewish comrades. Well, Paul calls him out on that. And so he uh, talks about how we are free from the law. It's not that the law is, is of no use. Uh, it's very much of good use. But we live by the law of grace now because of what Christ has done uh, for us. And so tonight, he, he's, he is making this argument, as he's been making this case, for what's called justification by faith. That meaning that we are justified in our faith not by works, but by the atoning work of Christ on the cross. Now, to to bring this out in full flavor, as Paul is very much an apologist, he's very much a philosopher, he's very much trained in rhetoric and many other things, as is, uh, is evident in his works, he is going to systematically dismantle the idea that we can be saved by works by giving five arguments for justification by faith alone in in Galatians chapter 3. 
And uh, it's very fascinating to see Paul's mind at work as he's working through and navigating these waters as he's arguing for justification by faith. So he's going to make five arguments tonight. First of all, he's going to argue from the people, the people of Galatia. He's going to make the argument from the patriarch, patriarch Adam. Then he's going to make an argument from the precepts of the law. Then he's going to make an argument from the, from, from the practice of the Son. And then finally, he's going to make an argument from the promise of the Spirit. So people, patriarch, precepts, practice, and promise. We've got some alliteration going on tonight. So let's take a look first at the argument that he makes. Uh, the argument from the people of Galatia. We are sharing our screen tonight. We're reading from the Christian Standard Bible. But if you have a, another translation you prefer, you feel free to read along with us, whatever translation you prefer. So let's read verses. Uh, Curtis, if you will, guide us in reading verses 1 through 5 uh, as he makes the argument from the people uh, as he is arguing for justification by faith. Sure. Starts out by saying, you foolish Galatians. Exclamation point, too. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> who has cast a spell on you before whose eyes Jesus Christ was publicly portrayed as crucified I only want you to learn from this learn this from you did you receive the spirit by the works of the law or by believing in what you heard are you so foolish after beginning by the spirit are you now finishing by the flesh did you experience so much for nothing if, in fact, it was was for nothing, so then does God give you the Spirit and work miracles among you by your doing the works of the law, or is it by believing what you have heard? Now he's going to finish finish that sentence in verse six, and we'll pick up on that on the next on the next argument. So just just remember, just note that there's a little space here between the the finishing of that. Uh, of that sentence asking the question. So it's interesting. Paul makes an argument from the people themselves in Galatia. And he points out two things. People mm -hmm. believed by turning to the gospel. And look what he says in verses 1 and 2. He says again, exclamation point, you foolish Galatians. And he's talking about, he says, who's cast a spell on you? What's that song? You cast a spell on me, baby. <laughs> am I saying that right? Or am I just misquoting a song? I may be misquoting a song. <laughs> well, anyhow, he's, he's saying, You foolish Galatians, who has cast this spell on you? He says, You're not thinking straight. Uh, he goes on to say, uh, before whose eyes Jesus Christ was publicly portrayed as crucified. Now, here's the interesting thing about Christianity. Everything, nearly everything, there were a few things Jesus did in private, but most of what Jesus did in his life was very public. He taught publicly. Now, he explained things in private. He gave the parables before everyone, but he explained the parables to the disciples uh, in private. Uh, but he performed miracles in pu very publicly. He was crucified publicly, and he resurrected very in a very public fashion as well. 
So he says, who has cast a spell on you? Before whose eyes Jesus Christ was publicly portrayed as crucified. He says, I only want to, to learn this from you. Did you receive the Spirit by the works of the law or by believing what you heard? In other words, he's saying, did you receive your salvation by being perfect people? And the answer to that is a big old no. There's, there's a reason why Jesus had to come and die for us. And that's because by works alone we could not be saved. It's not by works. It's by God's grace that we're saved. And it's by this belief that we have, he goes on to say. He says, so this by belief, you, um, you came to faith. He's, he's asking a question about the key aspect of coming, becoming a Christian. And that is by believing, in, 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 as, as he says in Romans 10, 9, if you shall confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, then what? You shall be saved. But we want to complicate matters, don't we? We want to complicate matters, and that's what the Galatians did. They wanted to complicate the matter. So people believed by turning to the gospel, but they became bewildered by turning from the gospel in verses 3 through 5. This is where they had that spell cast on them, almost like. He goes on to say, he said, Are you so foolish after beginning by the Spirit? Are you now finishing by the flesh? Was it Petra used to have a song that says, Dance with the one who brung you? <laughs> it's a wonderful song. Dance with the one who brung you. And so uh, and so. this is what Paul is saying. He says, you, you began with the Spirit. Are you now finishing with the flesh? Did you experience so much for nothing, if in fact it was for nothing? So then does God give you the Spirit and work miracles among you by doing the works of the law? Or is it by believing that you heard? So Paul was asking some critical questions. He asked them about the key aspect of becoming a Christian. He asked them also about living as a Christian. And he's showing here that all of this was done by the grace and work of God and not by us being good people. Because quite honestly, God is the source and is the essence of goodness itself. And to quote Thomas Aquinas, uh, or paraphrasing Thomas Aquinas, even our understanding of the good pales in comparison to the actual good that God truly is. So there's no way we could ever live up to God's standard. It took God's grace to bring us to faith. So, Yeah, it's so good. <laughs> um, my mind goes, Brian, to, you know, the beginning, the first the first chapter or you know when we when he's when he's like if if i or another angel come you know and then from here right through this you think about like through scripture where like matthew talks about um jesus actually is talking about uh beware being aware of false prophets and and such and you'll know about their fruit and and here they are paul's trying to get them to see the fruit that is being produced is this works of the law, as he was talking about in the very first chapter. Absolutely. Absolutely. Um, I got a little special treat for you as we close the podcast, if I don't forget. Don't let me forget to play a song for you as we close out tonight. <laughs> I, was, I was listening. I was just getting everything prepared there. 
for us. So yeah, absolutely. The works mm. of the law does not save us. If they could save us, then Christ would not have had to die on the cross. Would there still be a triune God? Absolutely, right. Father, Son, Holy Spirit. But he wouldn't have had to make that sacrifice for us if we could redeem ourselves by our works. Yep. So so he makes this argument from, from the people of Galatia by, by how they came to faith, by the faith that they held so near and dear. But now he's also going to make an argument from the patriarch uh, which is which is Abraham. So let's read. Uh, we're going to have to break this up a little bit. Let's read verses six through nine, and then we'll come back and read verses fifteen through eighteen. So let me get this prepared for us. Verses six through nine, and then we'll go to fifteen through eighteen. Okay. So to finish out what what it said here. I'm going to back up just a skosh into verse 5, the end of verse 5. And he says, Or is it by believing what you had heard? Pregnant pause. Just like Abraham, who believed God, and it was credited to him as righteousness. You know then that those who have faith, these are Abraham's sons. Now, Scripture saw in advance that God would justify the Gentiles by faith. And claimed the gospel ahead of time to Abraham, saying, all the nations will be blessed through you. Okay, go ahead and read and, verse 9 uh, for us, Yep, and then it says, consequently, those who have faith are blessed with Abraham who had faith. Abraham who had faith. Now let's read verses 15 through 18. Okay, so 15, verse 15 starts out and says, Brothers and sisters, I'm using a human illustration. No one sets aside or makes additions to a validated human will. Now, the promises were spoken to Abraham and to his seed. He does not say, and to seeds, as though referring to many, but referring to one, hmm. and to your seed. Who is Christ? My point is this: the law, which came 430 years later, does not invalidate a covenant previously established by God, and thus cancel the promise. For if the inheritance is based on the law, it is no longer based on the promise. But God, love that term. But God had graciously given it to Abraham through the problem. So let's go back up here to verses 6 through 9. So th there are three things in this argument that Paul is making with from the mm -hmm. patriarch Adam to, to verify or validate the, the doctrine of justification by faith. Again, justification by faith meaning that we are justified by our sin. We are justified, made right by to with God, by the faith we place in Jesus, in and through the work He did for us on the cross. So He's He's going to make three. He's going to do this in three ways. First of all, He He's asked the question. So if it's by your works, if you're going to say that it's by the law that you're saved, then what do you do with Abraham? 
because Moses and the law came after Abraham. But yet Abraham was made right with God. How did that happen? And everybody claimed, you know, in the, in the Jews of, of Jesus' day all claimed to be the descendants of Abraham. So he said, okay, now, well and good, but you're saying you're the descendant of Abraham, but now you're also saying this by the law that, that you're saved? Uh, well, how, how was Abraham saved? Here again, he, Paul shows his rhetoric expertise here. He is just systematizing, systematically, excuse me, systematically demolishing this idea that we can be saved by our works. So, first of all, he says the means, yeah. talks about the means of Abraham's salvation. And so, how was it that Abraham was saved? Well, he says, Abraham, who believed God, and it was credited to him for righteousness. He believed, he trusted God, he had a relationship with God. In Genesis 15, 6 is where he's quoting. He, he believed in God, he trusted God, and it was credited to him as righteousness. He was justified by his faith. His salvation came about by his faith in God. Now, our salvation, he ties this into verses 7 through 9. He goes on to say, You know then that those who have faith, these are Abraham's sons. These are Abraham's children. So he's going to make the case that, that even though the Jews are still the physical descendants of Abraham, that the spiritual body of right. God, the spiritual family of God, includes all of those who had like-minded faith as Abraham did. So we are one body in Christ, but that doesn't negate the physical uh, descendant or, or, or ancestry that the Jewish people have back with with Abraham. So, you know, when we talk about dispensationalism, we talk about um, understanding there's a distinction between the, the physical land of Israel and the spiritual body of Christ. Uh, those in the covenant, covenantal understanding, they say that there's just one body, which is the church. Paul seems to be suggesting a little both here. He's suggesting that there is the that there are the physical descendants of, of Abraham, and he doesn't negate that, and he doesn't negate the promises given to the physical descendants of Abraham. But he's saying that those people who were truly of Abraham are part of this spiritual ancestry that's found in this one body of Christ. And so he says, those who have faith, these are Abraham's sons. Now the scripture saw in advance it for, for new, so to speak, uh, that God would justify the Gentiles by faith and proclaim the gospel ahead of time to, to, to Abraham. And notice he says here, quoting um, Genesis 12, 3 and 18, 18, all the nations will be blessed through you. And in fact, they were because we are descendants, spiritual descendants of Abraham, because we share in the same type of faith that he did. Consequently, those who have faith are blessed with Abraham who had faith. So here again, in the first part of this in verses 6 through 9, he's arguing that the means by which Abraham was saved is the same means that we are saved by God's grace through our faith in him.
So he, he talks about the means of Abraham's salvation, but now let's flip on down to verses 15 and 16. Now notice he says here, he uses a human illustration in verses 15 and 16. He said, um, it was Christ who came from the line and lineage of Abraham. He says, no one sets aside or makes additions to a validated human will. So someone makes a will and it's verified, it's validated, then you can't make any additions or corrections to it because that is the will that the person set in place. Well, likewise, now the promises were mm -hmm. spoken to Abraham and to his seed. He does not say, and to seeds, as though referring to many, but referring to one and to your seed, who is Christ. Meaning that those of us, he foresaw that Christ would come and redeem the world through the Son. The, the Abraham was a typology of Christ to come, uh, forecasting Christ to come, and it was through Christ the promises, the ultimate eternal spiritual promises were brought about to the people of God, the spiritual descendants of Abraham. But then he goes on down, verses 17 and 18, he talks about the means of salvation in verses 6 through 9. The man who was saved, uh, that's Abraham, or a man who saved Abraham, that was Christ, and in the moment of Abraham's salvation in 17 and 18, he says this, my point is this, the law which came some 430 years later does not invalidate a covenant previously established by God. Now he's using that illustration of the human will. Uh, that, that Abraham was going to be a blessing to all nations. Christ brought that about. He was the means that brought about that salvation. He was the means that brought about that promise. That will made with Abraham was not invalidated. Uh, and he goes on to say, it's established by God and thus cancel the promise. It will not be canceled. So if for if the inheritance is based on the law, it is no longer based on the promise. It's no longer based on the will that God established with Abraham. But God graciously gave it, gave it to Abraham through the promise through the promise of salvation coming to all nations through Christ, which was brought about by Jesus on the cross and then sealed and established uh, by the resurrection of Jesus. The Spirit poured out at Pentecost. All those promises together connecting back to this promise initially given to Abraham. And so Paul is saying then to, to the people of Galatia, if you're saying that the law is saved, it could save you, then you, you are missing the promise given to Abraham, a living will given to Abraham that he was going to be a blessing to many nations and that would come through Christ. Not the law, it would come through Christ. Powerful, powerful argument. Mm So then the question comes, what about what about the law itself? And so we look at the argument from the precepts of the law. And so here we look at verses 10 through 12, and then we'll flip on down to verses uh, 19 through 25. And this will be the third argument Paul brings. So let's take a look at verses 10 through 12. Let me scroll back up here. 10 through 12. Ooh, okay. 10 through 12. 
says here, for all who rely on the works of the law under a curse, because it is written, everyone who does not do everything written in the book of the law is cursed. Now it is clear that no one is justified before God by the law, because the righteous will live by faith. Mm. But the law is not based on faith. Instead, the one who does these things will live by them. Okay, let's go on down to verses 19 through 25. 19 through 20. I may have to scroll down as we read here. 19 through 25. Okay, so um, there's a little bit of a lag here, Brian. So when you go and when I start reading, let me get down to 21 or so, and then you go ahead and scroll up. I'll follow. Okay, that sounds good. Um, why then was the law given? It was added for the sake of transgression until the seed to whom the promise was made would come. The law was put into effect through angels. By means of a mediator. Now a mediator is not just for one person alone, but is, but God is one. In the law, therefore, contrary to God's promise, is the law, therefore, contrary to God's promise? Absolutely not. If the righteousness would certainly be on the basis of the law. But the scripture imprisoned everything under sin's power so that the, 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 to the basis of faith in Jesus Christ, to those who believe, before this faith came, we were confined to the law, imprisoned until the coming faith was revealed. The law then was our guardian until Christ. Check that. The law was then our guardian until Christ. So that we could be justified by faith. But since that faith has come, we are no longer under a guardian. Go ahead and read verse 26 there, Curtis. I hate to leave it off on a little little phrase. (laughs) (laughs) Okay, so it says, we are no longer under a guardian. Verse 26, "For, for through faith you are all sons of God in Jesus Christ. Powerful, powerful. So in this text, he's in this in this part, he's going to make an argument from the precepts of the law. And so in verses ten through eleven, he he provides the problem of the legal precepts and saying that those under the law who do not obey all of it are cursed by the law. In other words, so if you can't keep all of the law, then you are essentially cursed by the law. So he says, right. for for all who rely on works of the law are under a curse. Because, it goes on to say, everyone who does not do everything written in the book of the law is cursed. That comes from Deuteronomy 27, 26. And then he, so he goes on to say, now it is clear that no one is justified before God by the law because the righteous shall live by faith. This is coming from Habakkuk 2.4. I heard one person call it Habakkuk. No, no, Habakkuk. That's how they pronounced it. Habakkuk. But this is Habakkuk. <laughs> He's not kooky. He's not kooky. But the righteous will live by faith. Okay? And the, the law is not based on faith. Instead, 
by the one who does these things will live by them, and that comes from Leviticus 18.5. So he's making the argument here and saying that if if you if you're basing your salvation on the law by itself, then understand you've got to keep every jot and tittle of the law. You gotta you gotta have every I dotted. You gotta have every T crossed. Because if you don't, if you break one of them, then you're guilty of the whole thing. James tells us the same thing in his book. If you if you mess up in one area, you're guilty right. of the whole thing. Well, the, that's the that causes a problem. Because no one can be perfect, you know. And especially if you look at the Sermon on the Mount and God's requirements, mm-hmm. and that you know, if if you have if you think bad things and you do bad things, then you're guilty, just as guilty. Well, who in the world could be saved? Yeah. There again, that yeah. goes alongside with, in my opinion, with what Thomas Aquinas tells us about the goodness of God. We have even our image of good pales in comparison to the actual good of God. Our understanding of the love of God pales in comparison to the actual love of God. So we can never be justified in and of ourselves by and through the law. It just it just won't happen. It can't happen. Mm-hmm. And so in verses 19 through 25, he gives the purpose of the legal precepts. What What's the purpose for having the law? Well, in verses 19 through 20, he points out that it points us to our sin. It it shows us our need for salvation. It points us uh, in in the way we should go, but it points out the fact that we we do have problems. We do have a sin problem. And then in verses 21 through 25, he he calls the, the law our guardian until Christ could come. Uh, it, it it protected us. It kept us in the right way. It, the law served a purpose. It serves as a teacher. It, it serves as a guide. But it was preparing us for the advent of Jesus for when he would come and give the law of grace. It was kind of like a bookmark. It was kind of like a uh, a placeholder mm-hmm. until until Christ could come and and make that final atonement for our sins. Yeah. Yeah, it says um, in one of my it says uh, the law was a schoolmaster, a teacher. You know, the the thing that taught us the 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 that we are we do have a sinful nature that we are sinful people. And why is it our culture nowadays, Brian, wants to want to forego or? Um, brush off this idea that we're sinful and we need we need a, a redeemer to get us back in touch with God. Well, I think I think it's an age old problem, Curtis, if if we're if we're honest, because I think it kind of goes along along the lines of what we were talking about last week. It it's a whole lot it makes us feel better if we think that we have control over the issue. If you can check off certain boxes, then you can know that everything's right, and then you can, by your works, accomplish something. And so it's it's 
I think it's part of our human nature where we don't like having to ask someone for help. We don't like asking someone to do something for us. We would rather do it ourselves because I, I think one of the most one of the most challenging issues for us, one of the things that causes us the most the greatest amount of fear is feeling helpless. I really believe that. I really that feeling of helplessness is, I think, the most frightening thing that any of us feel, because we like to think that we have control of our lives. You know, we we have jobs. We're working to earn a paycheck to accomplish certain things. Uh, we we, you know, we've been told all of our lives. You know, you do you do these things. Good things will come to you. You you live right. You know, certain things will happen. Uh, it gives us a sense of control. So if we if we accept the notion that we can't ever be good enough to earn our place in heaven, to earn salvation, then it gives us a sense of helplessness. And I think that a lot of churches are even mm, struggling with yeah. that. You know, some of the greatest pushback I've ever had in uh, the, the, theologically, in, some, in any messages I ever received or I ever brought, was had to do with this issue of, of helplessness. We want to think that we are important. We want to think that well, we, which we are important, you know, in in God's eyes. He's making a masterpiece out of us. But but still, we we like to think that we have some semblance of control. But when we understand that we're destitute. It's impossible for us to save ourselves, that we have to rely on God's good favor and grace. We realize just how helpless we really are and that we have to depend on God, God's mm-hmm. good favor to bring salvation to us. I, I think that's part of it. That may not be all of the reason, but I, but I think that's part of it. Yeah, I'd have to agree. Because it's, it's a funny thing to me that, you know, Easter used to be the most important day or Resurrection Sunday, whatever you want to call it. Good Friday, Resurrection Sunday. Those used to be the most important days on the church calendar, and I think they still right. are. But now it seems like Christmas yeah. has become more popularized. Not saying Christmas isn't important. I love Christmas. Don't mm-hmm. get me wrong. I love Christmas. But it's not the most important holiday. Easter is, Resurrection Sunday is because Good Friday, Resurrection mm-hmm. Sunday because that's when our salvation came about. But it's not as popular these days because you got to face the cross before you get to an empty tomb. That's right. That's right. That's right. And that's a difficult pill to swallow sometimes. So let's take a look at our, the fourth argument that he gives. So he's given an argument from, from the people of Galatia, an argument from the patriarch Adam, the argument from the precepts of the law. Now let's take a look at the argument he gives from the practice of the Son in verses 13 and 14. So verse 13, it says... Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us. Because it is written, cursed is everyone who hangs on a tree or is hung on a tree. 
the purpose was not was that the blessing of Abraham would come to the Gentiles by Christ Jesus, so that we could receive the promise, promised spirit through faith. Powerful stuff, right here. So, um, wow. So, the argument from the practice of the son. So, first of all. He look. He looks at what he did, how he did it, and why. Why he did it. First of all, what he did in verse thirteen. Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law. Uh, he redeemed us by the curse of the law. He he redeemed us uh, from the penalty of sin. Well, how did he do this? Well, it was through the atoning sacrifice on the cross. Notice he says here by becoming a curse for us. In Deuteronomy 21, verse 23, Scripture says that every the cursed is everyone who is hung on a tree. This is why, if this is why the resurrection had to have happened for Christianity to have continued. Because Jesus was hung right. from a tree. And everyone knew Deuteronomy 21, 23, and is stating that anyone who is hung from a tree is <laughs> cursed. So how in the world are you going to start a religion with with for, with a guy on a cross who, according to your own law, says that that person's cursed? There has to be a resurrection. If there's no resurrection, there's no Christianity. It's as simple as that. But that that he became our curse. He took the curse, the penalty that we bore on our shoulders became that curse for us on the cross and bore the penalty of our sin on his back on that wooden cross. Two beams, three nails equals forgiven. That's what Jesus did. And why he did it? Well, it's the fulfillment of the practice. He did it to fulfill the promise God gave to Abraham. He says the purpose was that the blessing of Abraham would come to the Gentiles by Christ Jesus. Now, that's not saying that Jewish people aren't saved by the atonement of, of Christ on a cross. They are, but it made the it widened the door even more so that people of all walks uh, would be accepted by Christ, through Christ, um, accepted by God through Christ, I should say. So... He, he what he did he he had he redeemed us from the curse of the law, he did so by becoming a curse for us on the cross, and he and he did this all to fulfill the promise that God gave Abraham. Powerful argument from the Son. Yeah, I mean, and everybody would have known the. It was just in the air that everybody breathed at that time. And you look at the, you know, at the time of the death of, of Jesus on the cross, it, it, it carried a stigmatism to it. It carried a, 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 a weight, a heavy weight um, on everybody around. When they would see it come into the entrance of the, of the city, they would see these crosses where people would be hung up on there with what their record was showing that it they were uh they were thought of as as low absolutely 
And that's one of the reasons why, you know, the cross was one of the most horrific ways to die, not only physically, but for a Jewish person, it would have been horrendous spiritually because they would have borne not only the shame of being stripped naked publicly on a public highway with people looking at them going by, seeing their beaten, mangled flesh hanging on the cross, but also it it removed any hope they had because they realized that anyone who's hung on a tree was cursed. So you talk about removing, you talk about desecrating and and just obliterating a person psychologically, spiritually, physically. The cross right. did just that. And what does that say about the faith of Jesus? You know, yes, he was the Son right. of God, but still, you know, you're going through that. Gosh, that's got to be. It had to be tough. Mm-hmm. So we see the argument from the practice of the Son, but then we see an argument from from the promise or by the promise of the Spirit in verses twenty six through twenty nine. So verse twenty six says. For through faith you are all sons of God in Christ Jesus. For those of you who were baptized into Christ have been clothed with Christ. There is no Jew, Greek, slave, or free, male and female, since you are all one in Christ Jesus. And if you belong to Christ, then you are Abraham's seed, heirs according to the promise powerful passage of scripture and boy oh boy oh boy if we could just grasp hold of the deep theological philosophical moorings found in galatians three twenty eight, a lot of the problems we face in our society yeah. would be eliminated um so what is this promise we have Absolutely. from the spirit well verses 26 and 27 we see what the spirit does the baptismal promise notice he says that through faith you are all sons of God. You're children of God in Christ Jesus. You are sons and daughters of the King Most High. You have your own families, oh, but man. you're part of a bigger family. We're part of a large mm-hmm. spiritual family in God, in Christ Jesus. And he goes on to say in verse 27, For those of you who were baptized into Christ have been clothed with Christ. Uh, Meaning Paul uses this image of a person emerging from the water after being baptized and putting on new clothes. We're a new person. That doesn't mean we're perfect on this earth. We're going to still make mistakes. We're going to still mess things up. Lord knows I do every day of my life. It's human nature, but we put on new clothes. We're put on a new, we've get a new model because of who we are in Christ Jesus. Not because of what we've done, but because of the promise of the Holy Spirit. So I hear people say, you say all the time, well, well to be a good Christian, you got to do this, or you got to do that. Well, there's no one good, no, not one. We're saved not because of what we do. We're saved because of the grace of God. <laughs> So, not of works, all of the grace of God. But then he goes on to say why he does it. He gives us that assurance promise 
and verses 28. This assures that all may share in the promise once given to Abraham. And who does that include? It, it includes both Jew and yeah. Greek. <laughs> people of all ancestries. People of all lineages. Mm. Slave or free. It doesn't matter if you are as rich as Bill Gates or as poor as Joe's turkey or anywhere at any point in between. It doesn't matter because you're all one in Christ Jesus. Because money, magnitude, good name, that's not going to get you there. It's all going to be by faith in Christ. We all get to heaven the same way. Male and female. You know, we we want to have all these distinguishing marks between, you know, uh, males and females and things of this nature. And, and there are differences. I'm not saying there's not. There are definitely differences right. between male and females. But right. uh, but the point I'm trying to make here is that in Christ Jesus, we're all one. Okay? So right. if there's no Jew or Greek, if, if ethnicity doesn't matter, if there's no sla- slave or free, if socioeconomics right. don't matter... There's no male and female mm. distinguishing marks, and we're all mm. one in Christ Jesus. Then why in the world are we fighting and bickering so much in the modern church? We're all mm. one in Christ Jesus, and if you belong to Christ, mm. then you are Abraham's seed, heirs according to the promise. And I would furthermore say, there's no white or black, as we mentioned before. There's there are you know. In, Curtis, right. before the podcast, you mentioned the verse. You may want to quote it again in Revelation. Uh, but we're all one in Christ Jesus. Mm. And so a lot of these things that we mm. debate and a lot of these problems we're facing now, there's no young or old in Christ Jesus. Um, so this right. whole war we see between youth of the church and the elders mm. of the church and contemporary music and choir music. and Listen, I love all of it. I say, let's have a choir and a praise right. team both. Why can't we have both? I, I don't understand that. Right. So, but but the point is, and all right. of that is that we're all one in Christ Jesus. So I, I think that God's going to have a talking to us when we get there, and probably say, yeah. "Why are y'all? Why are y'all bickering so oh, man. much?" <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Yeah, in fact, this weekend I'm I'm I mentioned I was I'm teaching uh, a, a a communion message, and um, this is one of the verses that that came up in my mind. But the other one is, at the base of the cross, we're all equal. We mm-hmm. all need that doorway, that 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 blood to cover us, to cleanse us to wash us clean, and to allow us to be this right here. Revelation 7, 9. After these things I looked up, and behold, a great multitude which no one could number, all nations, tribes, peoples, and tongues, standing before the throne and before the Lamb, clothed white robes with palm branches in their hands. Verse 10. And crying out, with a loud voice saying, Salvation belongs to our God who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. Wow. Yeah. Powerful stuff when we when we actually do it. And that's what that's what Paul was saying is, hey, 
stop with all this work stuff. It it's it works are good when when you're doing it in the right on the right side of this, but when you're trying to do it to gain the salvation of God, you're then working away. You're turning away from the the core tenets of Christianity. Absolutely. So next week in chapter five, or excuse me, four. Uh, believe it or not, my goodness, we're already halfway finished know, right? with our Bible study in Galatians. This went yeah. by in a hurry. Uh, so chapter four coming up, uh, he's going to yeah. do several things. But one of the things I find interesting is he's going to to uh, make a distinction between um, Hagar and uh, and Sarah. You know, he's going to talk about you know he had two sons. Uh, one by a slave and the other by a free woman, and he's going to talk about how... Now, listen, let's just set this straight. Jews and Arabs are wanting Christ Jesus as well. So he's not talking about ethnicity here. He's talking about mm-hmm. the the promise that would come by, uh, one by the law and one by grace right. and through faith. And so he's going to talk about that coming up next week. And so we've got some great stuff still ahead in their study in the book of Galatians. And as promised, as we roll this thing out tonight, I want to close with a little Petra. For, <laughs> so for our cowboy apologist, Curtis Evelo, this is Dr. Brian Children saying God bless. And we'll see you back the next time we step into the arena of ideas. Galatians 4 coming your way next week right here on the Bellator Christie Podcast. God bless. Bellator Christie Podcast brought to you by BellatorChristie.com. The views expressed in this podcast may not reflect those of Bellator Christie Ministries or its affiliates. This program is protected under Creative Commons copyright, all rights reserved. If you enjoyed this podcast, 
and be sure to subscribe and leave a positive review. Also tell a friend. Thank you for listening, and we'll see you back the next time that we step into the arena of ideas.